And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Alex Stewart. Good morning, Joe. Seb Stafford Bloor. Hi, Joe. Ha! Welcome to a new week. It's a Tuesday and uh, we're recording this on a Monday. We'll be taking you through the weekend's action today uh, by discussing such fixtures as Manchester City West Ham, Tottenham versus Burnley, Chelsea versus Manchester United, Luke Shaw versus Stuart Atwell, and uh, RB Leipzig versus Borussia Mönchengladbach. It's all very exciting, apart from one bit where Seb talks about handball for too long after I encouraged him to do that. And at the end, of course, we come to uh, Joe's Flax and Quotes database too, except I I forgot to do a quote. So it's been a fun episode to record. Seb, what was your highlight? Uh, when we unveiled your overly aggressive among us behaviour, I think was, sure. was my favourite bit. That sure. was funny. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And Alex, what was yours? I didn't have one. <laughs> okay. Just a flat line. Before we get started with today's episode, let me remind you that if you're keen as a football bean, you should be reading The Athletic. That's right, that's the official slogan of The Athletic there. They've just sent that note out this morning. That's what we should all be saying now. And you'll start to see that on television adverts and on billboards in Manhattan Times Square or something. Keen as a football bean, read The Athletic. Uh, the reason you should, if you are keen as a football bean, is uh, because there is a fantastic in-depth and close to, close to the source knowledge uh, uh, on every club. Alex, what am I trying to say? You're trying to say that you should subscribe to The Athletic, and you're probably not saying it for this reason, but I had a piece out this morning on Phil Foden, um, which might be readable. Yeah, it is. And uh, it's a sort of expansion of the video that we've had out this morning on Phil Vo Vil Voden. Hello, as Vil well. Voden. Yes, Vil absolutely. Vil Voden. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think uh, everyone needs a source. The Athletic. Yeah? Every every source needs a source. That's the line. Every source needs a source. The Athletic. And that's why when I eat chips, I mix ketchup and mayo. Uh, but visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. And I believe you can get a deal that is as good as a one pound per week. Uh, it's a fantastic uh, thing to avail yourselves of. And you know what? Every time you go for a long poo, you're going to be delighted that you did. So that's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Anyway, uh, enough of this intro. Uh, let's begin with the episode uh, by talking about uh, Manchester City and West Ham. Uh, so I will leave you in the, uh, the cool hands and the warm embrace of Thomas Socek. Let us begin with talk of uh, Manchester City 2-1 West Ham 
West Ham, we're going to talk about West Ham because, listen, we've talked about Manchester City. They're going to win the league. Humdida, very fun. Nobody cares. But West Ham, uh, currently, I don't know what their current position is, but they are high up there in the upper echelons of the Premier League table. Uh, here's a question for you, Seb. West Ham, a really good example of what can happen when a group of players are confident. Discuss. Yeah, that feels like a rhetorical question. It feels like a, a question I've almost asked myself in that podcast. In which case, let's move on and not listen to you anymore. <laughs> No, go on. Do please, please tell me what you mean by that. So I look at West Ham and I look at the players and I look at the system being employed and it's all impressive enough, but there's nothing particularly innovative going on there. It's all just logical, um, logical imp implementation of a style which suits the players on the pitch. And what you're seeing, I think, is the effects of a group, of a squad believing in what they're trying to do, having confidence in what other players around them are doing and also collectively believing in what their manager is instructing them to do. And I think that's a really powerful sort of bedrock in football because everything else kind of comes from that point, doesn't it? Because if you if you have the reverse, say you had a really intricate, um, innovative tactical system, which players either neither understood nor really believed in or had any you know particular faith in, it doesn't really matter. So it's like, mm -hmm. it's kind of your foundation block for team building, isn't it? Uh, Alex, you, you, you're here with me, right? Ah, uh, yeah. Listen, are you ready for this? I'm going to try and create a division now. Uh, I'm going to say to Seb, cop out, yeah? Talk about intangibles, mate. When you don't understand what's happening, you put it down to good <laughs> confidence and stuff that happens in people's heads that Alex can't measure with his protractor and his compass. Alex, uh, Moyes has obviously been at West Ham before, and uh, this did not have the same outcome then. Presumably there are pieces in place now. Maybe we're talking about a Lingard as a, as a contributing factor. Uh, Thomas Socek also, I imagine, is probably a, a player who's going to come up in your, in your response here. But what exactly is it that West Ham or Moyes is having West Ham do that is measurable, uh, that isn't a cop-out answer like Seb's, uh, that might be able to explain their, uh, their position? <laughs> Um, yeah, well, they just want it more, don't they? I mean, that's right. the thing. See, that's what I was thinking. In, in every game. Um, yeah. yeah. They, no, I, Seb's right. They, they, they have developed a, a oh. system that suits what they've got. You know, there's some players in there of a very high standard. Declan Rice, I think, is excellent. Aaron Cresswell is excellent. But some of these other players are, they're good, but they're kind of workmanlike. But what, what, Moyes has done is he's created a system where there's sufficient cover for all of those parts. The players know exactly what they're doing. Crucially, this is clearly a squad that is good at taking instruction uh, and working hard. And so this kind of low block uh, counterattack through quick players and Declan Rice's vertical passing, the, the forward runs of Suchek that kind of add bodies in the box it's really well designed for what they've got. If they tried to be much more expansive, if they tried to play cleverly out of the back, that kind of thing, they wouldn't necessarily quite have the quality on the ball. What they do have is a lot of physicality, uh, a lot of stamina. They can control the pitch well. They get their spacing right. Uh, and then they have one or two players who just add that extra bit of quality, which I think is, you know, Lingard is part of that now. But I, I would also add, that, that Lingard works in the kind of the first half of what I've just said. He's a, he's actually a very, very assiduous presser of the ball. He takes up very intelligent positions. He marks the space well. So he fits not just in terms of what Moyes is maybe looking to elevate the team with, but also what the team's already doing well. 
Yeah, okay. Well, listen, I'm going to pick on Thomas Socek, uh, Seb, because he's now been here for a year. It's it's amazing to think he's only been at West Ham for a year. I feel like he's been there for a hundred years, such as his impact on that team. Um, and 11 goals within uh, something like 33 appearances is a, is a very impressive return uh, for a box-to-box midfielder, particularly of his height. He looks a little bit like a clumsy player at times, doesn't he? But he's had such an incredible impact on this team. Is, is he the, the sort of defining piece that Moyes did not have in place last time? His kind of Marouane Fellaini, his elephant man. I, I think so. Obviously, a little bit different to, to Fellaini, but there's there are some similarities there, like in the sense that if you were playing five-a-side against Thomas Suchek, he's the kind of player that would, that would receive a pass, turn away from you, and accidentally on purpose elbow you in the face. He's, he's that, isn't he? He's, he's probably he's one of the, one of those guys that he, who'd just be absolutely horrible um, to play against. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah. very impressive. I, I think what you're getting at is that even though he's been there for a year, he's kind of indicative of what Moyes has built there. He feels very emblematic of what West Ham have become, which is um, rugged, tough, um, hard to break down, pretty reliable in both penalty boxes. And Suchek is kind of your... He's your, he's your sort of poster image for that, isn't he? Because he, he looks like what would happen if you if you asked a sort of a, a cartoonist just, you know, on instinct, draw what a David Moyes player is going to look like. And pretty much, you know, your, your kind of your weird science, your, your modern version of weird science would be uh, Thomas Suchek rather than Kelly LaRock, I think. <laughs> okay. Is, um, that, is that a reference ask- that went ever? Has nobody else seen weird science? That is, yeah, yeah. That's, I've seen weird okay. science. Yeah. Thank you, no. Joe. Have you what not is, seen okay, no, what is weird science? Put it in some kind of context for me. So I mean, t- uh, I mean sort of date. Uh, Mid eighties. It's um, you know no. two high school kids. They they create their perfect woman, and so this is instead of the two high school kids, I've got well one David Moyes, and his perfect box box midfielder, and it's Thomas right. check. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't make a film like that today, would they? Yeah. Let me let me ask you now, weird science aside, weird science aside, let me ask you about Mikel Antonio, uh, because he's a fascinating player. I mean, I, I remember when he first uh, when he first arrived in the league, he was playing as a winger, sometimes playing as a wingback. Um, he's now firmly in the number nine role for West Ham. This is a player who's 30 years old now, but he started out in non-league and he kind of worked his way up over a period of time. We hear about players like this, but Mikel Antonio genuinely is a kind of an unknown, it feels like an unknown quantity in every game he plays. I feel like Premier League defences really don't know how to contain him. Yeah, I, I have a little bit of a theory about this. Firstly, the player that progresses into the Premier League from non-league football plays in a slightly different way. Um, yeah. I don't know how you measure it, but it's a it's part enthusiasm, it's part desire, it's part chip on their shoulder about being rejected at some point earlier in their career. And that kind of manifests in the way they play the game when they get to the Premier League. With Antonio, I feel like the different, the, the, the kind of the variety of positions he's played in in the past helps him to be a little bit of an unknown quantity. So you don't, he does thing, he does certain things on the pitch very well. I don't think he has a lot of established traits. He doesn't have, you know, little, um, like for instance, he doesn't have skill moves which defenders can anticipate. He doesn't have a tendency to lay the ball off in one direction or the other. He is just someone that can do a lot of things to a really high standard. And that must yeah, make him very yeah. difficult to play against. In, in can, can I put him with... in the context of uh, of see my my uh, understanding of this comes from the game Rocket League. Do either of you play the game Rocket League? No. 
No. Rocket League is football with cars, right? It's a great game. It's a great game. But there's something that happens as you rank up to sort of different uh, different levels, different ranks, uh, that the game is played slightly differently at each one of those. And at the very top level, there's a lot of faking going on, whereby they try to indicate a, a move and then they don't make the move. But because they're playing against people of their own rank, what you often find is that the game can at times be kind of slow with like people trying to fake everyone out constantly. And when you get a player who might have a slightly uh, less of a slightly less skill level, um, who plays in a in a in a a ranked match with players of that ability, you often find that they score the simplest goals because everybody's expecting everyone to fake all the time or to do a particular thing uh, that they don't do. And I feel like Antonio's a bit like that. I feel like he has. Uh, he has a really good game sense, uh, but he's not the necessarily the best mechanics, yeah? And he's playing in the, the Supersonic Legend rank squad, but people don't know what to expect from him. Yeah, is that was that a totally worthless uh, thing for me to say? It was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the beginning, I thought, this is a great thing to say. And then by the time I got to the end... I'd I'd leaned more and more towards we're, the we're, this this I shouldn't have started saying this this kind thing. of floundering on the analogies today aren't we Yeah they're, they're a bit all over the place Has anyone I'm seen not, this No Okay well let's no. go with it anyway <laughs> <laughs> It'll make sense to someone <laughs> it's like When, when I listen back to this Mars. podcast by myself I'll laugh alone Yeah I'm hoping there's one or two Rocket League players out there Alex what were you going to say before I did all that thing uh, I was going to say that I think I think Antonio is I mean obviously there's there's a physical presence there but I think as as um one of you said there's a kind of funny instinct about popping up in the right place at the right time you know a lot of his goals aren't necessarily immaculate finishes or incredible shots from distance he works very hard to get into the right position and then somehow manages to kind of wrap himself around in such a way as to knock it in and and what West Ham have and again this is very moise is with particularly with him and Sushek you just have big guys who are able to time their runs into the box in such a way as to create problems for defenders and because that's coming with pace and it's coming with height, then if they're able to attack across, um, then it's really, really hard to defend. And, and sometimes there is a little bit maybe that, that Premier League defences are used to uh, having a kind of a, a type of constructed play in front of them, which is slightly more complex and works slightly more on quick passing and movement. And I'm not saying that West Ham can't do that, but actually having a more direct approach but being fed by players of genuine quality is something that, that defences struggle to deal with. Do you remember Antonio at Southampton? No. He was in no, the at Southampton all. in 2009. Really? 28 appearances, three goals, apparently. He was on loan from Reading. Huh. Interesting. So he did, yeah, back in the League One days. Tooting and Mitcham, Reading, uh, Cheltenham Town, Southampton, yeah. Colchester United, Sheffield Wednesday, Forest. Nottingham Forest, West Ham United. 150 appearances for West Ham, 43 goals, pretty good return. Well, I've just, just been on his FB ref profile compared to other positional peers, it says, in, in Europe's top five leagues over the last 365 days. There's only 10% of players who've scored more non-penalty goals per 90 than him, and his non-penalty <laughs> XG is only 2% of players that have wow. managed more, which is wow. an extraordinary kind of, you know, that, that, that makes him an elite in, footballer. Well, in terms of his output, 
It kind of does. I mean, it, it, yeah. the only things that he doesn't do that well are, are sort of passing and, and tackling. Who in needs every to do that when you score goals? Well, kind of, yeah, because if you're the focal point and if that's what you're you're looking for, you know, West Ham are not a heavy passing team. Their, their progressions are quite direct and they do like to cross the ball. So you don't need to be the kind of player that links stuff up all that much. You're there to create space for others or to get in the end of crosses. And and he he does that really well. Well, absolutely. Anyway, speaking of uh, football league players, is Jared Bowen a good example of the Premier League snobbery towards football league players? Seb, Jared Bowen. I think so. I, I also, let me um, preface that by saying that I think this is starting to change. I think... Clubs are some clubs are having to look for value in the football league, and some clubs, as a result, are finding it. But Bowen, Bowen was someone who was around for a long time. I know that Tottenham looked at him for a while and passed, um, and a few others. You know, if you look around the Premier League table now, uh, for the money West Ham spent and for the output they've got, he represents a very good deal, and he's he's proven excellent. I, I think it's always um, it always feels like a secondary option, doesn't it? You know, if, if someone said, oh, right, you can go into the championship and, you know, look how long it took um, the Premier League to wake up to someone like Ollie Watkins, who's had a very good season. Or I know he hasn't quite um, set the league on fire yet, but Saeed Benrahma is, you know, he's a super player um, and presumably will prove that very, very soon. Historically, if you look at some of the players that have, have come up over the years, so... Um, Morgan Schneidlin's an obvious example. Um, Angel Rangel with Swansea. Leon Britton with Swansea. It's interesting what the kind of the the margins are between getting a chance in the Premier League and not, uh, and the players that would never have got one unless they'd been promoted into it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, and I, I just think it's kind of it's it's a strange trend, and it's 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 Premier League clubs are weirdly reluctant to kind of look beneath themselves, um, which I think is a mistake. You know, Jared Bowen's got a style of play section on his Wikipedia, and he was Does described he? by sports journalist Daniel Emery as the budget Iron Robin. <laughs> 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 Which, you know, that's yeah, nice. Fair enough, I guess. I, 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 think, I think this is something that'll change, um, like Seb says, because partly because there have been instances of players. I mean, um, uh, Emery Chietze is another good example of that. Um, Dele players Ali. coming in and adding something from an attacking perspective. Who? Sorry, Deli Ali. Uh, yeah, I mean, going going back, there's. I mean, Andy Robertson from Hulls, another like Jared Boehm from sure. Hull. That you know, there are these instances, but I think the more that Premier League clubs a choose to gamble, but also because of the new GBE rules, um, they have to gamble. You know, if if um, smaller leagues in Europe, if the clubs that players of interest are playing for don't get to, for example, the latter stages of the Europa League or the Champions League. Um, it, it's harder for those players to accrue the sufficient points to get a transfer to the to England now. And so suddenly the Championship becomes more appealing because obviously those players are already based here and, and the transfer is more straightforward. Well, uh, here's a fact uh, for you. Uh, wait, I'm just picking a fact. Oh, good one. Uh, Mikel Antonio's equaliser for West Ham was the first Premier League goal Man City have conceded at the Etihad since the 15th of December against West Brom, ending their run of 629 minutes without conceding on home soil in the competition. Six home clean sheets in a row before today. Well done, John Stones and Ruben, Ruben Diaz, then. Well done. 
well done to both of them. We've talked about Man City a fair whack already. Uh, So that's why we wanted to focus on West Ham. The exciting West Ham. Anyway, after this, we'll be back to talk about Tottenham versus a Burnley. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Tottenham for Neil Burnley. Um, okay. Oh, there's a theme to my questions here, Seb, and I'm going to read them all in one go uh, just so that we can just get cracking, okay? Question number one. Is Gareth Vale good again? Question number two. Are Tottenham good again? And uh, question number three. What the hell is going on? Maybe no, I don't know. Right. Yeah. No, that's so, yeah, okay. That's pretty that good, okay? isn't it? Is yeah. that okay? Yeah. Do you want me to expand or am I done in that section? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I feel like I'm a bit worried because I feel like we had this conversation and we have this conversation with Tottenham quite a lot. Uh, it's the Mourinho factor, isn't it? I feel like Mourinho uh, creates a sort of cloud of confusion. And I, I never know who I am when I'm near him. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know what's real anymore. Tottenham, they looked outstanding against Burnley. And I know Burnley having a, a, a tricky, tricky season. Um, ordinarily uh, are, uh, you know, I'd say a better defensive team than they have been for periods this season. But Tottenham just ran away with, with the game. I mean, every time they, they, they moved forward to, uh, to attack, it looked like they were going to score. Gareth Bale, of course, had a, a fantastic performance, as we've, as we've discussed. Also, so did Harry Kane. Um... I don't. I, oh, I literally don't know what to say anymore. I feel like I've done this as a person with Mourinho for the last five years, where he does something great, and I think, oh, maybe I'm a fucking idiot for thinking he was bad, and then he does bad stuff for like six weeks, and I go, no, of course he's bad. Why do I keep getting fooled? And then it just happens over and over and over again. I genuinely don't know what to make of it. That's why I'm asking All you. Right. I'm not sure that you know either. No, I don't know. I've got a good rule which I've been applying over the last few weeks, which has helped me a little bit. And that is that uh, Jose Mourinho is as responsible for the good performances as he is the bad. So that means that when confidence is slumping and defenders are making mistakes and individual errors, he is responsible for that. But yeah. when a Gareth Bale or Deli Ali type uh, re-emerges and starts to play well and shows flickers of form, also responsible for that. I think it's it's about being even-handed. And obviously, um, depending on your stance at any given point, you, um, lie, you, you kind of expose yourself to that weird little army of Mourinhoists online who attack anybody that kind of dissents. But that's the only way to do it. You, you, can't, you can't have a situation where Jose Mourinho is only responsible uh, for the good things and completely uh, 
unable to alter the, the course of a, a poorly performing side. It's just not the way. So you have to be even. And as long as you're even, I think it's it's fair to say Burnley's a good performance. Burnley is shit. But um, especially away from home, they are uh, weirdly a, a very soft touch against Spurs and have been for a few years. Uh, but yeah, it was very good. It was fun to see Gareth Bale play well. I don't know whether Gareth Bale is back. Let's just leave it there. It was it was fun. It was nice to see him play like that again. Well, no, I'm not. I don't want to leave it there. I'm going to say okay. Gareth <laughs> Frank Bale. Thirty two. He's going to be thirty two in the summer, sir. So even if he is back, he's not back for very long. Uh, but uh, how how, do, how how does one explain that kind of performance? He was a joke uh, unfairly. Gareth Bale hasn't done anything to show that he was finished, other than just not to play very much and. The reasons all very for well. Him. Uh, well, let's be realistic. I think that's if you fair to say, right? Yeah, but if you if you look at sort of the amount of football he's played over the last couple of years and what you would reasonably expect a player to need to play himself back into form, I don't think Gareth Bale had reached that level. And I think it's not a coincidence that as his minutes have increased, so have his performances. So have the impact of his performances. Uh, he's a player who's had a lot of muscle injuries in the past. He's someone that has spent much of the past few years sitting in stands watching Real Madrid play or Tottenham. Yeah. And he is His also getting of 25 older. appearances a year. Yeah, then that's across three competitions or, or four, as in Real Madrid's case, that's not a lot. He's had a lot of injuries and he's also had this issue where players have been promoted ahead of him, particularly at Real Madrid because of a perceived star quality or something. Um, and as players get older, particularly off the back of injuries, those players have to adapt their skill set, which we've seen with Cristiano Ronaldo, for example. But if you don't get regular game time and you're not trusted on the pitch to be given the opportunity to adapt your game, then you end up not being quite one thing and not the other. You, you don't have the physical attributes to be the player that you once were, but you also don't have sufficient time to be able to work on you know, privileging the elements of your game that don't necessarily change. Like Gareth Bale is still very good at passing, very good at heading and very good at shooting. So, you know, if he were given the opportunity to fashion himself into a player that works more on that basis than on an explosive physicality, I think you would have seen him continue to be a very, very good player. Um, Seb, Tottenham are currently in eighth position with a game in hand, six points off West Ham in fourth place. Uh, presumably, you know, fourth is uh, I mean, it's wide open for every team in that in that area, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I I think what will end up happening is that Jose Mourinho will um will privilege the Europa League, um, and if he loses any more ground in the battle for fourth, I think that that sort of prioritisation will become more clear. You'll see players being rested in uh, at the weekends and saved for midweek matches, especially as the competition gets harder towards its latter stages. I don't know. I, I just, um, they've got a nice run of games and a couple of games in a row that they really should win. Then they have to, uh, they have to face Arsenal at the Emirates, which is, feels like a little bit of a lottery at the moment because I don't know what Arsenal actually are. And I don't think any of us know what Arsenal are. So I, I don't think so. I, I don't, I don't expect to, um, Tottenham to, to finish inside the top four, but I, I think if they were to, if they were to put in a decent showing in the League Cup and finish sixth and have a bit of a crack at the Europa League, I think given how low this season has been at different points, that would be a relative success. Not a success and not by any means par for Mourinho, but still better than it could have been. Okay. Anything else on Spurs? No, no. When you when you started to interrogate me, it, it, it reminded me of um, 
playing Among Us with you over the weekend, which, by the way, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've a bone to pick because I, um, I, I sort of turned up as, as someone who'd never played the game before and I didn't really yeah. realise sort of how aggressive some of the questioning would be. Oh, there's no, after. there's no mercy even for newbies. <laughs> yeah, but Alex, Alex, even even people like Paul Ansorge, for instance, nicest man I've ever met, nicest Love person I've ever met. Yeah, put him in, put him in Among Us, and he's like yeah. a character from Twelve Angry Men. Of Paul Ansorge, no question about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the and uh, yeah, it's like it's like you're in Twelve Angry Men. Have you, you know, noticed why, how Joe also establishes himself as the foreman of the jury at he's every quite, given he's, opportunity? He, yeah, he, he's, a, he's an absolute Henry like Fonda. Like a meeting. Yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a Henry Fonda, and it's kind of like, right, why would why, why the fuck were you in storage? You know, <laughs> what were you doing there? Like, listen, yeah, gang, also, listen. There, there are very few rooms in which I'm not the foreman. Okay, let's just say that. <laughs> uh, also, uh, other point of note on that is uh, Henry Cook, our illustrator, excellent liar, really good liar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the only thing I've got to add is that I was I was watching match of the day uh last night and Tottenham came on and Mourinho's face was on the screen and my mum just went ugh. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24/7 US-based live customer service from Discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, okay, let's talk about Chelsea nil-nil Manchester United. This was a fairly fun game, particularly the first half was fun. The second half was a little bit more boring. First thing I have to say, point of order, order, order. We don't normally talk about handball things or on-pitch controversies, or was it this or that, or whatever. Um, But I genuinely, genuinely don't understand the handball rule anymore, and I need somebody to explain it to me. Oh, God. This is my bit, isn't it? Okay. This Uh, is your bit. Right. Listener, please excuse me. Just say it in your own words, Seb. Yeah, but I... Oh, okay, fine. It is a handball if a player... One, <laughs> deliberately touches the ball with the hand slash arm, including moving the hand slash arm towards the ball. Two, 
scores in the opponent's goal directly from their hand arm, even if I accidental. I can't hear you. I, I, I can't even hear what you're saying. What, what's the bit that's relevant to us, do you think? I'm looking on, as well. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Point two is, it is a handball if a player scores in the opponent's goal directly from their hand slash arm, even if accidental, including by the goalkeeper. What the shuddering fuck does that mean? What? Scores in the opponent's well, if, goal if the directly goalkeeper, from the... If the goalkeeper goes up for a... Oh, yeah, to the yeah, opponent's what, but, goal. Yeah, but what, what, what's the need? What, so we're clarifying the fact that the goalkeeper can't go up for a corner and punch the ball into the net. I mean, that, yeah, that feels like true, a... Yeah, but... I mean, I, I feel like I knew that. I mean... An important clarification. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, also so... handball... Joe, stop. Um... No. <laughs> <laughs> you're, not, you're not Henry Fonda now, Joe. I'm not... You're going to read all of these. Okay, this, is my, this is my Among Us meeting. No, read them all. Um, read them all. I will. I will. After the ball has touched their or a teammate's hand slash arm, even if accidental, immediately, and then A, scores in the opponent's goal... B, creates a goal-scoring opportunity. C, touches the ball with their hand. Oh, for fuck's sake. I don't know. I, I just, I, I can, I can hear listeners, myself reading this stuff. fall off by the dozen. Handball is complicated. Uh, no, no, keep reading. You shouted at me. You've got to keep reading now. You wanted to keep reading. Keep reading. Go. No, Go. Keep, point, keep reading. Point, point D. It is also handball if the player... Oh, has made their body unnaturally bigger. We don't really know what that means because that seems to be subjective. <laughs> That's more like weird science, isn't um, it? <laughs> the hand is above shoulder level, which seems to be what, the same like point a, to me because that like Hudson Adoy's, yeah. Well, like uh, like Ndidi against Arsenal. I suppose that would sure. that would be the example sure. for that one. But then that 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 also seems to be involved in the making their body unnaturally bigger point. No. I, I mean, I think that, that, that you know, the ex-pros often talk about lifting the arms to gain momentum with a jump. I mean, I, I don't know if that's, that. I wouldn't say that's unnaturally bigger. Relatively important ones. And I can see you moving around on the uh, on the Google Doc, as I read this, by the way. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can see your cursor. Uh, so it is not a handball. Um, if the ball, stop doing that to distract me. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> stop it. <That's> so childish. <laughs> If 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 it is not a handball, if the ball touches a player's arm, a directly from the player's own. <laughs> Alex, stop highlighting the text. If, if if the ball touches a player's hand directly from the player's own head or body, directly from the head Can or I body of another toilet? player who's close. If the hand arm is close to the body and does not make sir. the body unnaturally bigger, sir, I'm done. I'm done. Can I go I'm to the done. toilet, sir? Listen, may. uh, maybe the answer is that I don't understand the handball rule because I can't bear to read or hear anyone else read the handball rule to me. But uh, would you agree that the handball rule doesn't really make that much sense in terms of the way that it is currently applied, or at least that the referees applying it are responding perhaps to a negative response to the change in the rule at the beginning of the season? Because this, 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 this handball incident, Hudson-Odoi, was certainly an incident that would have been given at the beginning of the season and should have been given according to the rules, but is now not being given, given because... It's because no they got idea. such negative feedback and because it became such a thing at the beginning of the season. They so very they're on clearly the fly, had, right? Yeah, they, 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 I actually asked this question. When we went to Stockley Park a couple of years ago before they introduced VAR in England, I said, will there be little adjustments to the rules? Like, will... will Will the with the laws and the application of the laws and what constitutes a high bar will that be tweaked privately? And they said no. But very clearly, this is what's happened. Um, handballs. If you look back at sort of the 
Look back at the, the handball given against Eric Dyer against Newcastle back in October, I think, and then compare it to what happened at Stamford Bridge over the weekend. It's a handball. And you, you can't have a situation in which uh, it, within the same season, there are multiple variations on the same law of the game. It's just ridiculous. Well, there's also the one that, that Southampton didn't get when the ball, when yes. Matthew Cash stuck his right yeah, arm yeah, yeah. out. To, yeah, handball. And, Absolutely handball. And I think, I think the problem that we had, obviously, before VAR, there was inconsistency in decisions. But human error means that there will be inconsistency in decisions. Now we have this kind of spectral presence that's supposed to oversee everything and and correct errors and make sure that everyone gets a fair crack of the whip. And that's what's added this extra degree of confusion because you're thinking, well, surely that's a handball. It's only a matter of time before VAR overrules it. And then there's this confusion over whether or not VAR can actually well, overrule did. it or just that's what they they said it's a handball come and look at the monitor and right, he overruled exactly. them and then he and he changed and and my understanding of VAR was that that it was supposed to be able to say to referees on the pitch you've made a mistake you need to correct it uh, but for the referee to then yeah. be able to turn around and go uh, whatever his justification for that process was effectively i haven't made a mistake or even if i have i i'm not going to give it anyway that's just weird. It, it just adds another level of confusion. I mean, that that was a handball under the rules. Well, to add a further layer of confusion and uh, controversy, Luke Shaw commented about uh, <laughs> this after the game. Um, I'm going to do my best impression of just a generic footballer now when I read Luke Shaw's quote. Are you ready? Go on. I even heard the referee say to H... If I say it's a pen, then it's going to cause a lot of people to talk afterwards. I think that was my Paul McCartney. <laughs> Wait, I was trying to do. Uh... Also, also Luke Luke Shaw, very very southern. Yeah, yeah I know. That's, that's, I'm not Pontemps. doing an impression of. I'm not doing an impression of Luke Shaw, guys. I said before I started, it was a generic footballer. It just accidentally turned into Paul McCartney. I even heard the referee say to H. Square brackets, Maguire. If I say it's a pen, uh, that's going to cause a lot of people to talk afterwards. Now, of course, Manchester United said he misheard and they encouraged him to say that he misheard. And whether he did mishear or not is unclear. It seems like a strange thing to mishear. Uh, he, he seems but... to have misheard very precisely. <laughs> he, he does. He was, yeah. he was having a very animated conversation with Ben Chilwell uh, as both players came off the pitch after the game. I wonder if he was saying, like, what on earth happened there? Did you hear he, it as well? He was probably saying, I can't believe you're not even getting to start at Chelsea anymore. I can't believe I'm going to the Euros and I'm going uh, <laughs> to be in the starting position. Enjoy the bench, Ben. That's possibly what he was saying. This has been derailed by me too many times. I, this, this... I don't even know how to respond to this. This feels like a uh, an absurd situation to be in. It, let's just say hypothetically, let's just take uh, as a hypothetical the scenario that, that, that the referee did say this. It's crazy, isn't it, Seb? It is crazy because I, I'm not sure what would then happen next. Because Was it, is it understandable, if, though? I, not really, because I, I think it's understandable for a referee to think that way. Not that it's good that they do, but it's a very strange thing to articulate to a player. You can't say, well, I yes, you probably should have a penalty in this really, really, really important top of the table game, but I'm not going to give it because publicity, question mark. That seems strange to me. 
that's the kind of thing that the FA probably have to respond to, or or the Premier League or PGML. If 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 it is what was said, I think what I'd like to know is was his rationale that because this element of the handball rule is so weak that it, it's sort of contentious, that's the problem? Or is it because it's giving Manchester yeah. United yet another penalty? Is that the pro- is it, yeah. is it a Manchester United thing or is it a rule thing? Is Stuart Atwell leading a kind of revolution from the inside? <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> the, I mean, the other way I would look at it is, is imagine like, we don't know how the... We, we, we very rarely hear quotes of how referees and players talk to each other, right? We don't know about the formality. We don't know about the familiarity. I'm sure that Stuart Atwell and Harry Maguire have spoken many, many times before. Maybe, is it possible that this is sort of thing or along the lines of the sort of thing that you might say in order to diffuse a situation to say, look, that's not that's not something I can give. Maybe that's what uh, he was trying to say. I mean, because I remember watching the game and seeing uh, after the decision was to not give a penalty, I was a bit confused, saw Harry Maguire going over to talk to Stuart Atwell and and he, it's not like he did any kind of massive complaint about it after you can see Stuart Atwell talking to him and then he kind of just, oh, you know, and then walks off again. You think if a referee said something to us, that sounds very, very unusual sort of thing to say, right? Harry Maguire's uh, reaction did not read that at all. Yeah, it just, that's it just a really good kind point. Of bummed out by that's it. a really good point. Yeah, maybe so, he's polite. Uh, like, I don't know. Either I, maybe he's <laughs> polite. Maybe this is just an ordinary way that referees and players talk to each other. Maybe there's a bit yeah. of a solidarity. We're in it together thing. Maybe it's been misinterpreted, and what the referee meant was, I can't give that. You know, even if you're saying this is what happened, I still can't give it. Maybe that that, that would be fine. Maybe it's as I said, it's something in order to try to uh, diffuse the situation. Yeah, um, maybe he was trying to make a joke. Maybe he was trying to make a joke. Maybe, uh, maybe Harry, Harry Maguire's reaction... He might just be a really fatalist person. Maybe it'd be kind of, well, it's just a game of football and, you know, we're all going to die anyway. So, I mean, you know... <laughs> maybe, yeah. know. Well, welcome to my world. It's like, but, just uh, a, like a fatalistic centre-half. I don't know. Maybe. In, um, sure. in, in the uh, Six Nations game between England and Wales at the weekend, which I, I caught like the last 10 minutes of or something, there had been a series of refereeing controversies prior to that, but but the people, the pundits were able, and also the the players themselves were able to respond to that much more clearly because in rugby, the referee is mic'd up. So you can hear the conversations that are being had. It's the, yeah. the, the studio can clock into that and then everybody who's watching is aware of what's being said. And I think that partly it keeps the players from being particularly offensive or intimidatory or that I know there's a different culture in rugby around refereeing but it would also have been incredibly helpful in this instance or possibly would have prevented Stuart Atwell from saying something ambiguous or silly if he knows it's going to be broadcast he can just explain clearly I'm not giving it for these reasons and then we'd all know have you um have you guys ever seen the footage of uh when they did this yeah. for an Arsenal game back in the 90s when um yeah it was David Ellery got mic'd up and yes. Arsenal, Arsenal conceded a goal. <laughs> Tony Adams, the goal's given. David Ellery runs back towards the halfway line. Tony Adams chases him, shouts cheat in his face and then runs off again. <laughs> I don't think it's going to work. I don't I don't think you can bike up football referees. But it but it's been done in um in the A-League in Australia. Um and it's 
very successful because the the referees are aware that the explanation that they give to the players is also being broadcast to listeners. And the players are conscious that if they act in a certain kind of way, it will reflect badly on them. And there's tangible evidence of them being offensive or aggressive. And and I think it might it might have teething problems, but ultimately it seems like quite a good solution to a number of different problems. Big sweary teething problems. Yeah. Sure, but you know, there's they, Sky are used to apologising for profanity, aren't they? Which, which I've never really understood because half the time you've missed it or it just hasn't sunk in, and then they apologise for it, and you think, oh, what, what, what got said? That's, that sounds exciting. I believe it to be a legal fucking requirement. Anyway, we'll be back <laughs> after the break uh, to discuss something from Germany. Oh, we're in Germany now. The weather is broadly the same. We're on the same sort of latitude and people are similar. Everything's fine. Um, Seb, tell me about RB Leipzig versus Borussia Mönchengladbach, por favor. I mean, uh, bitter. Uh, <laughs> this is great. It was the best game I've seen in ages. Um, I kind of tuned in with the rest of Germany kind of hoping to see Leipzig win because uh, as my father-in-law tells me um, it's just if it's a unifying thing to kind of rage against the prospect of Bayern Munich winning the league so um, you said his English wasn't very good no but his English is his English is okay it's just it, it's a lot better than my German I'm um, I'm only six, say six days in. No, but we, we have I want a, you to quote your father-in-law directly I don't want you misquoting your father-in-law on this podcast no, because we talk through gestures and um, motions and facial just expressions just as well t- as words. Just tell us what happened. Just tell us what happened. Do you do that facial thing where you, where you speak like louder and with a slight accent of the language of the person you're communicating <laughs> to, like English no. people do? So fact, what I've Before doing... you answer this question, Seb, let me just put some yeah. context for listeners here who don't know. Seb has recently, with his wife, moved to Germany. Uh, they're waiting to move into their own accommodation, and for a month or, or, or a while, they're staying. He's staying with the in-laws. Uh, it, the, and the, your your wife's father doesn't speak. He speaks some English, but not loads, and you speak some German, but not loads. And, and you, but you're watching a lot of football together. That's pretty much it. And so, so what we've been doing is I, I've, um, I'm six days into my German lessons and I, my sentence structure is really poor, obviously, but I'm starting to pick up bits of vocabulary just from studying, but also um, because obviously um, my wife talks to her parents in German around the breakfast table, around the lunch table. Um, and so when, when we communicate, uh, I'm able to kind of do 60% English, drop the occasional German word in, and we kind of communicate that way. My father-in-law's English is, is actually very good. He just he doesn't he doesn't use it enough to be confident. It's one of those. But, like do you remember, sure. remember when you studied at school? Um, you did sort of French or Spanish, but you never actually went to France or Spain. It's the same principle. Um, so he just um, he just lacks confidence. But his English is actually better than he thinks he is. But we have um, you learned any swear words yet? Yeah, yeah. I mean, actorize, of course. Yeah, yeah. like um, it's it's. That, that stuff's pretty easy to pick up. But, sure. um, yeah. you know, were like the utility company to call me after this podcast, I would probably need to get my wife to deal with that. That's the kind sure. of, that's the difference. Well, um, I'll, I'll also be doing that here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're speaking English too. Anyway, uh, back to the football. Uh, your father-in-law enjoyed this game. He likes to unite against uh, Bayern. And uh, it seems like you're, you do too now. Yeah, we got really into it. Obviously, um, Gladbach went into a, a two-goal lead. And 
I'd be like to say, I, I think it's it's really interesting to kind of to to see the conditions within a game in which Julian Nagelsmann thrives, because this game became very chaotic, but in this really thrusting, impressive way from um, RB's perspective. Let's read some statistics from that second 45 minutes. Bear in mind, they're 2-0 down. Um, second 45 minutes, I'd be like to say 14 shots to nil, 68% possession, 68% possession. 120, 120 passes made uh, and completed within the Gladbach final third. They were so dominant. And it was it was really interesting to see because at no point, even at two goals down, did it ever look like they questioned their belief to go and win the game. And it's it kind of it's full circle with the point that we made about West Ham right at the beginning. It's a set kept on battering away, battering away, battering away. And eventually, um, uh, Crystal Palace legend Alexander Soloth uh, scored at the back post in injury time to win the game. Great header, by the way. Um, very soft challenge uh, that didn't come close to preventing him from winning the game. But um, it also, maybe Gladbach would have been better served by actually challenging for that rather than all like seven players running to the referee in protest as the ball was crossing the goal line. But either way, fun. Really good game of football. Let me bring this back to England for you, Seb. Uh what future team is Julian Nagelsmann going to manage in the Premier League? Yeah, I don't. That's think all we he'll care it. about, really. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he comes to the Premier League. I think. I think there's some sort of. Really, I think there seems to be. Well, I, I've I've heard the reports like everybody else that uh, he is interested in Tottenham, and Tottenham would theoretically be interested in him. But I think uh, I think he probably moves at the end of this season, and I think he has always been destined for Bayern Munich. I would have thought. Oh. Um, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't go there. If not this oh. summer, then at some point in his career, he's going to manage Bayern Munich, isn't he? I think that's... Oh, that's it's such a boring funnel, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is pretty tedious. But then that's kind of... That doesn't just apply to to, to managers in Germany, does it? No, um, players, of course, too. Exactly, yeah. 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 It's just a mass migration towards the strongest club in the country. Uh, I'd certainly like to see him in England, just because I'd like to see him compete with Guardiola and Klopp and uh, potentially yeah. Mourinho. That'd be interesting, but uh, I can't say. I'd it. love to see that flex, you know? Yes, me too. Yes. Oh, well. Uh, after this, we'll be back to uh, to do uh, Joe's database of quotes and facts. It's Joe's quotes and facts database. Ah, it's the quotes and flags database. And uh, I've got one addition today. Uh, so, Alex, would you uh, like to hear about Andreas Christensen? Nothing would give me more pleasure. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Andreas Christensen, of course, uh, Chelsea centre-back. Uh, known, here's the fact, known as the quiet, humble Dane. Yeah? It's exciting, isn't it? What, quiet, do you mean, humble is, is that a Dane. nickname? So like That's a if, nickname if, or known if he, as. If he went home to <laughs> it's his, his local town <laughs> and someone saw him walking down the street, that's what someone would shout out. No, it's just that when he when he did his uh, translated Ulysses, translated it into Danish, he, his uh, pseudonym was the Quiet Humble Dane. That's that's okay. uh, it's a legal these, name. These nicknames okay. aren't exactly catchy, are they? No, they're I'm not, not sure was, they're real either. There was one, I'm finding them from one. What was the website. one you gave in the last episode? The bird oh, it was for Edouard, uh, the Birdman, the tall no, doorkeeper, no, no, no. the, bird the tall doorkeeper. Can you yeah. imagine, like in the in the in the frenzied dressing room atmosphere at Chelsea, people are sort of bouncing around and they're like, "Oh, Christian, this or or Kante, that," and then quiet, humble Dane. 
Like I, I think that's just I think they, they sound like they're translated into English. <laughs> I think that's why they're funny. Um, anyway, again, I've gone to my best resource. I don't even know why I'm doing this. Everybody should just go and read lifeblogger.com. <laughs> <laughs> it really is the best resource for cloaks and flecks. And um, I've I've got I've chosen the strengths, weaknesses, likes and dislikes list again just because we, I had a lot of fun. Uh, it's not a quote. Uh, because I couldn't really find any good uh, Andreas Christensen quotes. Tell a lie. I've only just realised it's not a quote. Of course it's not. And uh, I've just picked two facts. So this is just a flax and flax list today. But uh, according to lifeblogger.com, strengths. Here we go. Andreas is courageous, determined, confident, enthusiastic, optimistic, honest, and passionate. Mm, that's a lot of good things, isn't it? Weaknesses, his humble looks are often taken for granted. <laughs> uh, he, his looks represent someone who could have been bullied while in his youth. <laughs> That's not a fact. That's a completely insane inference. Oh, somebody, um, somebody put a comment under the last pod. The thing that I was yeah. referring to is the Barnum effect. Uh, which mm. is where you where you read a generic thing like a horoscope uh, and pull yeah. out what you feel applies to you. Um, so yeah. Well, I, I think this next thing is a very specific. I'd, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd be curious to see if you can apply the Barnum effect to this. Uh, he likes taking on leadership roles, physical challenges, individual sports, and playing in the pool with friends. Do you think? Do you not think that sounds really specific to? That was all fine until playing in the pool with friends. That that was really strange. <laughs> but on the website, on the website, at this point, there's a photo of him in a pool with some other Chelsea players. <laughs> And is that not, is that not just an exercise session? I don't know. Maybe Although, he enjoys that as an there exercise was, session. Um, there was that series of photos that came out from the England camp, wasn't there? With the unicorns. With yeah. the unicorns, yeah. Well, in the pool. Yeah. yeah. Nothing maybe, wrong with a good old unicorn. Maybe that's been right. brought into Chelsea by members of the squad that were also involved in the unicorn incident. Maybe it has. Just enjoy, Just enjoying yourself in a pool. That's nice yeah. fun. Dislikes. Uh, this is the last bit now. Dislikes. Inactivity. Doesn't like inactivity. Don't delays. Don't no one <laughs> likes delays. And uh, work that does not use one's talents. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Nobody likes that either. So that is Andreas Christensen. Didn't get a quote for him. Um, it's because he's too quiet and humble to say he's anything. Too quiet and humble to say anything. You're, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, I think that's it, isn't it, for today's episode? Is that right? Oh, I've had enough. Yes. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, too. I sincerely hope so. We've got midweek football coming up. I'm just checking the fixtures now. See what we'll likely be talking about on uh, on Thursday's episode because of Tuesday there's a City Wolves. What a thrill! Uh, we have a Wednesday. Um, Oh. The busy night is Thursday, so we might uh, we might be caught between fixtures. You'll have to forgive us when we get to Friday morning. There, um, that's true. Yeah, because we we record yeah. on a Thursday morning. This is going to be one of the rare instances in which we we're, we're incapable of our, our usual game relevance. Yeah, unshaking game relevance. It will shake every time Thursday is a big night. Um, but we've got Burnley, Leicester, uh, Sheffield United, Aston Villa, Crystal Palace, Man United. So there's there's something to. <laughs> sink our teeth into 
uh, and maybe we can, you know, have a bit of bit of fun or something as well. Do something else that's you know that's less game relevant. Who knows? Maybe we'll see. Um, game relevance working out okay for you, Alex? Uh, no, not really. But but <laughs> I might watch Lille against Marseille on Wednesday night. All right, yeah, fine. instead well, of Premier you could bring League that. games. Yeah. yeah, that'd be exciting. I uh, think Sam, Sam Pauli's taken over at Marseille, hasn't he? So that might be uh, that oh. might be fun. Oh, hey, hello. Um, Seb, you enjoying yourself with game relevance? Yeah, I'm going to uh, watch the Hamburg derby tonight. So um, my wife supports St. Pauli, her brother supports Hamburg, and her dad supports Hamburg as well. So um, it's a, uh, I'm just going to, it's going to be quite a voyeuristic football watching experience tonight to see them all. What is your wife you should, support you St. Pauli? Support is it because she's a hipster? Uh, she used to work for St. Pauli a long time ago. Um, oh. One of her first jobs out of university, she used to work that's, for them. That's uh, why I've got a Sam Pauli badge on my laptop, because she sent it to me. Go. Listen, mate, I used to work for Tesco. I don't support them, yeah? You do have a Tesco badge on your laptop, though. So. I actually never worked for Tesco. Do you know what? I'd never, I've never worked for a big company, apart from the one I work for now. Uh, right, that's the end of the podcast now. Uh, so thanks for listening. Thanks to Alex. Uh, my pleasure. Seb Stafford-Bloor. Thank you, Joe Devine. And as usual to uh, producer Adonis, and we will be back on Friday with some less game-relevant chat for you. Au revoir! The Athletic.